0: This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Hello, CFC Johannesburg. It is so good to be with you this morning. I am so blessed that my parents have given me this opportunity to share this message that the Lord has placed on my heart. I want to say thank you, Mom and Dad, for the privilege of being able to share on your pulpit. I always count it such an honor and such a privilege. So thank you to my mom and dad. If you are in the main auditorium, I just want to say hello, Sheila Palmer or Dr. Bedroom. I love you lots. And of course, in all the other rooms and watching online, thank you for tuning in. I'm sitting down. I'm taking a seat, and I just want to share with you what the Lord has put on my heart. So if you're at home, just pretend I'm sitting in your living room or in your lounge. And if you're at church, just pretend I'm sitting right next to you, and we're just sharing what the Lord has put on my heart. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask that you just come and speak through me boldly, accurately, clearly, and let your word penetrate the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, inside each and every one of us is this innate desire to be loved and to love someone. Little girls grow up dreaming about their fairy tale wedding One day they're gonna meet their one true love, their prince charming, they're gonna get married and they're gonna ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. There's a reason why love story movies like the Titanic made 2.2 billion. And let's be honest, it wasn't because any of us really cared about watching the ship sink. No, we all wanted to go see Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet fall in love. Movies and storybooks portray a picture-perfect fairy tale, a love story where we meet our one and true love, and life is like a beautiful field of bright-colored flowers, picture-perfect. Well, we all know this couldn't be further from the truth, but we are all suckers for a good love story. Why? Because we all crave to be loved just the way we are. As a society, we put so much emphasis on searching for our person, Mr. or Mrs. Wright. When I first met Travis, oh my goodness, all I wanted to do was spend time with him. I wanted to talk to him all the time. I wanted to be with him all the time. And the truth is that God created us with this deep desire to love and to be loved so that he could be our forever person, our true love. He wants to spend time with us he wants us to desire a deep and intimate relationship with Him where we think about Him all the time, where He consumes our thoughts and our actions are inspired by our deep love for Him. Jesus says in Matthew 22:37, 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In your mind, would you go with me to the first time you met Jesus? The first time you asked him into your heart. Do you remember how loved you felt? How drastically your life changed? Do you remember how you felt inside? All of our sins washed away. We were made righteous, forever loved, and welcomed into our Savior's family. At first, all we want to do is tell people about Jesus, because we had met our person, our one and true love. Well, just like any love story, as the days and weeks and months go by, it's easy to become complacent and comfortable Now, family, we have to make a conscious decision not to allow this to happen in our relationship with Jesus. We need to make sure that we do not lose our first love. Revelations 2 verse 4 says, But I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of your love you first had for me. In the world that we live in today, life is so full and so busy. We all have places we have to be and people we have to tend to. Sometimes we feel like we're the hamster running on the wheel, forever running and dreaming about the day that we can just jump off. I truly believe that being busy is one of the devil's greatest weapons against us. If we can stay busy, we slowly stop reading our Bible every day or praying every day. And then we slowly stop going to church and eventually we lose that first love that we had for Jesus. One day I was at a store and I was looking at purchasing a particular product. The sales guy and I got to talking and through conversation, I was able to share with him that I'm a Christian. Well, he promptly told me that he himself was a Christian, that he had grown up in a Christian home, he went to a private Christian school, and then he went off to college. Well, at university, he went off the rails for a little bit until he realized that, you know, it was time for him to grow up and live a respectable adult life. So he graduated from university, and now he works very hard at his job. He works 80 hours a week. So he says to me, I just don't have any time to pray or read my Bible or to go to church, but the Lord knows my heart. He knows I'm a good person and a good Christian. What was interesting was that that was the second conversation I had had that week with another Christian who says there was simply no time in their day to pray or read the Bible because they were just too busy these conversations made me think how many Christians truly believe that they are saved. Perhaps they go to church on a Sunday because that's what the family does as kind of a tradition. But there's no relationship with Jesus, no time to pray or read their Bibles during the week. We cannot be deceived to believe that we are going to make heaven if we live for ourselves if we never stop and ask the Lord what He wants us to do with our lives. Romans 2, 8 says, but God will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, that when we go to heaven and we meet our Father God, that God will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Are we truly servants of God if we never stop and ask him what he wants us to do with our daily lives? You know, servants only do what their master asks them to do on a daily basis. So I asked myself, what does it look like to be a servant of God? Matthew 25:31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I personally believe being a servant of God is taking time in our everyday life to pray and read our Bible going about our day with Jesus on our minds and in our hearts, being ready to share about the love of Jesus at a moment's notice. Sometimes we think that we have to do all these grand things for the Lord just to be a servant of God. You know, I'm called to be an evangelist, And sometimes I would look on Facebook or Instagram pre-COVID, and I would see these wonderful evangelists. And they would be traveling the globe, having these huge crusades, and thousands were getting saved. And instantly, I would feel like everything that I was doing for the Lord on a daily basis didn't count. I thought, unless I'm traveling the globe, pouring out myself to everybody else, that I wasn't truly serving the Lord. Honestly, family, this is such a lie from the enemy. It's the simple things we do on a daily basis in obedience to the Lord, out of our hearts of love for Him. It's praying for someone that the Lord puts on your heart. It's taking someone a meal or giving to somebody in a time of need. It's about truly caring for and loving others. Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." I believe that this is what it means to be a servant of God. When the kingdom of God is our heart's first treasure, when we desire the things of the Lord more than anything else in this world, the truth is everything that we're working so hard to achieve down here on earth, our homes, our cars, climbing that corporate ladder, that degree that hangs on our wall, will all be burned up by fire. Everything on earth, every single thing that we've worked so hard for will literally go up in flames. 2 Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a robber. The heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The sun and the moon and the stars will burn up. The earth and all that is in it will be burned up. Since all these things will be destroyed in this way, you should think about the kind of life you are living. It should be holy and godlike. Family, the only thing that we get to take with us to heaven are souls that we win for Jesus. So it seems to me, if souls are the only things that we get to take to heaven, then our everyday lives should be focused on a love relationship with the Lord and winning souls. Peter says that we should think about the kind of lives we are living, that they should be holy and godlike. Jesus tells us a sobering fact only 50% of the Christians are going in the rapture. This concerns me. That means that 50% of the Christians who think that they are living a good enough life to go in the rapture actually are not. How terrible would that be to be left behind? Let's look at the parable of the 10 virgins. Matthew 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps, and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour the five foolish virgins represent people who consider themselves Christians. however, they have no personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. They think they are good enough, they think they are doing all the right things. they think because they call themselves a Christian that they are going to heaven, even though they never stop and pray or read their Bible during their day. They never stop and have a relationship with the Lord. They are totally caught up in their own lives, living for themselves. Jesus tells us that those Christians do not make it. The five wise virgins represent Christians who simply stay in fellowship with the Lord every day, reading the word, praying, On a daily basis, being mindful about doing the will of the Father, looking for an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So what category do you think a Christian falls into if they are so busy rushing around in their everyday lives that they never stop to pray or read their Bible? They never ask the Lord what He wants them to do with their days. Are they the five wise or the five foolish? The Lord placed this message on my heart as a wake up call for us Christians, a heart check, if you will. Are we so wrapped up in our daily lives that we just can't find time to squeeze Jesus in? Are we the five foolish who think that we are ready, but the truth is we are not in love with Jesus? Is the kingdom of God our heart's first treasure? Are we so in love with Jesus that he is always on our hearts and in our minds? Family, we are living in some very dark times and the darkness is only going to increase. Evil is rising and I dare say quickly taking over the world. We honestly don't have time to be wishy-washy Christians. We're living in an age where Christians have to start taking a stand for what we believe in. There's a line being drawn in the sand, separating the Christians from the unsaved. And which side are we on? We have to start letting our light shine brighter in the darkness. In the not too distant future, Christians are going to be the outcasts and the Bible is going to be considered hate speech. Are we ready to take a stand for the Lord? Are we ready to evaluate our lives and see if we are truly living as servants for our King? Or have we become so caught up in living for ourselves? The Bible is the best love story ever written. Jesus loved us so much that he chose to die for us even though he knew that some of us would never love him in return. That is true love. I want to share a story with you that I read recently and it really impacted me. How many of you know D.L. Moody? Dwight Lehman Moody, also known as D.L. Moody, was an American evangelist and publisher who founded Moody Church, Northfield School, and Mount Hermon School in Massachusetts, Moody Bible Institute, and Moody Publishers. One of the lines he is famously known for is, faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. How many of us know his life story? He was born to Betsy and Edwin Moody. His father Edwin was a successful stonemason who was devoted to his wife and his children. Sadly, he struggled with alcoholism and his addiction to drinking caused him to become rash with money. He borrowed money to purchase a small home on a poor piece of land. During Betsy and Edwin's early years of marriage, their debt compounded and tragedy struck in 1841 when Edwin died of a sudden heart attack. Dwight was only four years old at the time and he was already a brother to six siblings. His mother was pregnant, and she soon gave birth to twins, leaving her a single mother of nine children, all under the age of 14. Because her husband had died in debt, the creditors descended upon their home and took every last thing the law allowed, even her stacked firewood. The family was left utterly destitute destitute, burdened by a mortgage and without any means of provision. Friends told her for the sake of her children, she would need to break up the family and send some away to live with relatives, but she stubbornly refused. Mercy came through family members who covered their mortgage for the first year and through Oliver Everett, who was the minister of the nearby congregational church. He bought food and other necessities and became like a father figure to the children. He encouraged Betsy to keep the family together. Betsy was committed to attending church and taught her children from the only two books they had in the house, a Bible and the daily devotional. She had to give the bulk of her time to the urgent matters of providing for her family. So she would plow the fields, she would plant the crops, she would seek work from nearby families. In her home, she made her children's clothing, spinning the yarn and weaving the cloth. Sometimes it seemed like the family would not be able to go on but in the end, they always had enough. Through it all, she maintained a trust in God's provision, and her simple faith was always rewarded. Trust in God was her creed, and she trusted him even when he called upon her to make sacrifices with the little that they already had. Holding on to God's strength, she maintained a sunny disposition in front of her children, even while crying herself to sleep at night. Many years later, Dwight would honor his mother as a true Proverbs 31 woman. He wrote, she has been a widow for 44 years, and yet I never heard her say one ill word about my father. And she taught all of her children to reverence our father. She loved him until the day she passed away. He continued, Now, there is one thing about my mother. She never turned away any poor from her home. There was one time we got down to less than half a loaf of bread and someone came along hungry. She says, Now, children, Shall I cut your slices a little thinner to give some to this person? And we all voted for her to do it. That is the way she taught us. Nothing was too hard for her if she could only spare her children. When Dwight was 17, he decided that working on the farm was just too hard and he wanted to go off into the world. So a kind uncle took him in in Boston and gave him a job at a shoe store. Well, thanks to his upbringing of attending church, he continued his family tradition while he was in Boston. His Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, was determined to speak to Dwight about the state of his soul. One morning, he walked into the shoe store, walked up to Dwight, and told him of Christ's love for him and the love that Christ wanted in return. It was then and there that Dwight got saved. Now a 19-year-old Christian, Dwight continued to pursue his business ventures. He relocated to Chicago to become a merchant. There he joined Playmouth Congregational Church, rented a pew, and ensured that it was full every Sunday. He would introduce himself to strangers and encourage them to come and worship with him, and many did. Before long, he and a friend had decided to start a mission in the city's most neglected area. They soon had tremendous success reaching out to children and telling them about Jesus. This evangelical work served as a basis for a new church which exploded in popularity. Following the great Chicago fire in 1871, he felt compelled to begin a career as a traveling evangelist. The world would never quite be the same. Accompanied by musician Ira Sainsky, he traveled across America and the world preaching to thousands and even tens of thousands, seeing countless numbers come to Christ. All throughout his life, Dwight would remain close to his mother, even settling back in Northfields to be close to her. While he was away, he would write to her every single day, seeking her wisdom and counsel. Dwight wrote, "'I thought so much of my mother, I cannot say the half. "'That dear face, there was no sweeter face on the earth. "'She died at 91, and Dwight was by her side. "'He spoke at her funeral on behalf of all of her children. "'He said, I want to give you one verse, her creed. "'Her creed was very short. "'When everything went against her, This was her stay. My trust is in God. My trust is in God. And when the neighbors would come in and tell her to bind out her children, she would say, Not as long as I have these two hands. Well, they would say, You know, one woman cannot bring up seven boys. They will turn up in jail or with a rope around their necks. She toiled on and none of us went to jail, and none of us have had a rope around our neck. And if everyone had a mother like that mother, if the world was mothered by that kind of mother, there would be no use for jails. Here is the little devotional and the Bible. These two books was all she had in those days. But every morning, she would stand us all up and read out of these two books. And every Sunday, she always started us off to Sunday school. It was not a debatable question whether we should go or not. All the family attended church. I think she is one of the noblest characters this world has ever seen. She was a true sunlight. It is a day of rejoicing, not of regret, She went without pain, without struggle, just like a person going to sleep. With that, he looked at her face and said, God bless you, mother. We still love you. Death has only increased our love for you. Goodbye for a little while. And then he thanked God for providing such a godly mother. Now this story really touched my heart. I cannot even begin to imagine the trials Betsy faced. Losing her husband, raising nine children on her own with absolutely nothing. Here's a woman who had every opportunity to be bitter, to have unforgiveness in her heart towards her husband, to wrongfully blame God, saying that he would allow her to have all of these hardships be her portion. Yet through all the trials and heartache and hardships, she remained positive, always trusting God. I'm amazed at her heart attitude. Never once did she say one ill thing about her husband, who was an alcoholic, and due to that, left them in all this debt. And she taught her children to respect him, Her days were long and her work was hard, plowing and planting the fields, sewing her children's clothes, cooking and cleaning. I'm sure she worked from sunup to sundown, yet she always put God first, gathering her children first thing in the morning to read the word of God to them and taking them to church every Sunday. And on top of that, she even served in her church. In my opinion, She exemplifies a true servant of Christ. She put God first in her daily life, and she taught her children to do the same. She taught them to give to the poor when they themselves had hardly anything. She did her best for her king, serving him faithfully with these two hands. I believe she heard, well done, good and faithful servant, You were faithful with very little. Now I will give you much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Her everyday life example of a godly woman made a lasting impact on her children. All of them grew up to serve the Lord. D.L. Moodley changed the world, but it all started with his mother she might not have been able to change the world but her godly example and her love for her son shaped him to change the world i believe that she has shared in the reward of all the souls that came to know the lord through dl Moody's ministry the only thing that matters at the end of the day are the simple things we do on a daily basis in obedience to the Lord, out of our heart of love for Him. Family, how do we want to be remembered? And even more importantly, what do we want Jesus to say to us when we meet Him one day? My prayer is that we will all hear, well done, good and faithful servants. Thank you for spending this time with me. And I pray that this message impacted you. Share your comments. Share your likes. Tell me what you think. Thank you. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God.